Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about why you're happier before achieving a goal than you are after, why horsepower probably doesn't mean what you think it means, and how to keep your skin safe from the potentially harmful bacteria in your makeup bag. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Picture this. You finally reached that goal you've been working toward, whether it's running a marathon or graduating from college, and you feel deflated. You'd think you'd feel happier after achieving that goal than you were before, but that's not the case. So what gives? Well, believe it or not, what you're feeling is perfectly normal. And luckily, there are ways to cope. It all comes down to dopamine. I mean, you've probably heard of dopamine as your brain's reward chemical. For decades, researchers have explained it like this. You see chocolate, you eat chocolate, and boom, you're rewarded with a burst of dopamine. But new science is saying that dopamine's role isn't actually in the reward, but in the motivation to pursue the reward. You see chocolate, dopamine urges you to eat the chocolate, and then the chocolate tastes amazing. This is definitely an oversimplification since dopamine does a lot more than that. But most of the time when we talk about dopamine, it's in reference to the reward pathway, which is technically known as the mesolimbic dopamine system. It makes sense that researchers would associate dopamine in this area with reward since its levels are heightened when people do things like listen to music or eat chocolate. But studies also show heightened dopamine levels in situations you wouldn't consider rewarding. I'm talking about war veterans experiencing PTSD flashbacks or rats that have recently lost a fight. If you want to get down to the nitty-gritty, dopamine's role in this reward pathway really comes down to what's known as incentive salience. That's basically identifying incentives and making us want them, whether those incentives are the taste of chocolate or a feeling of safety. So it makes sense that you'd feel deflated after you've achieved a big goal. While you're striving for that goal, your reward pathway is constantly juiced up with dopamine. Once you achieve the goal, it's rewarding, but it's also fleeting. In other words, it really is about the journey, not the destination. Fortunately, you can avoid the post-goal crash by understanding this and finding ways to celebrate your achievement to extend the pleasure. And other ways to set more goals, even small ones, for after your big goal is achieved. So like if you're running a marathon, you can plan a recovery run with a friend a week or two afterward to keep that dopamine flowing. If you're graduating from college, you can plan a camping trip to celebrate. Don't make the goals too lofty. You don't want to burn yourself out. But having something small to strive for when the lights go down could help avoid that post-goal crash. What do you do after a marathon? Well, you just run another marathon. <laughs> no, honestly, there I have a huge crash after a marathon. And for weeks, I feel useless. Ooh. And so it actually is really important for me to sign up for that next marathon. <laughs> That's why you do it. Yeah, I just spend that time kind of like looking around at what the other races are and like where I could go. Because I like to use a marathon as a way to travel other places too. So yeah, that's what I do is I just like look forward to the next thing. It's a good excuse. Here's a question. How many horses does it take to produce one horsepower? Well, it's not one. And believe it or not, it was never meant to mean one. I know we don't talk about cars very much on this podcast, but I'm guessing you're going to hear the term horsepower mentioned on some car commercials in the near future, perhaps during a certain widely watched championship football game in early February. So today we thought we'd loosen the reins on our topic choices and talk transportation terminology. Reins. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. 
Working at peak performance, a horse can produce about 14.9 horsepower, and a human can produce about 5. Not all horses are created equal, though. So if a Tesla SP90D has 503 horsepower in the rear, we could conceivably be talking about 500 or so Belgian draft horses or thousands of Thumbelinas. So then, what is a horsepower? Well, in the U.S., it's 33,000 foot-pounds per minute. Metric countries, hold your horses, I'll get to you in a minute. That means that if you hook up a 33-pound bucket to a horse exerting one horsepower, it can get dragged 1,000 feet in a minute. Increase the weight to 330 pounds, and the horse can only go 100 feet. Bring it down to one pound, and that horse is going to move 33,000 feet in a minute, theoretically. The unit was invented by James Watt, as in the guy a Watt is named after. And he named horsepower after the amount of work the average horse could be relied on to do. Now, with a measurement this antiquated, you might expect it hasn't been affected by the metric imperial battle. Well, don't put the cart before the horse, because it has. Countries that use the metric system do the same calculations James Watt laid out, but instead of foot-pounds, they calculate meter-kilograms. That means the German Pferdeschgerde, PS, and the Italian Cavalli Vapore, CV, are both measures of horsepower, but they're 1.4% less than the horsepower measurements you get in the U.S. Yeah, if you thought Celsius was confusing, it just goes to show, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. I used that wrong. Last one didn't make sense. Yeah, this horsepower is definitely not a gift. No. <laughs> <laughs> Today's episode is sponsored by Purple Mattress. Better sleep, better you. If you wake up feeling like you slept all night riding on horseback, then maybe it's time to put your old mattress out to pasture. If you're struggling to get a good night's sleep, you've got to try a Purple Mattress. The Purple Mattress will probably feel different than anything you've ever experienced because it uses a brand new material that was developed by an actual rocket scientist. So it feels unique because it's both firm and soft at the same time. The Purple Mattress keeps everything supported while still feeling really comfortable. Plus, it's breathable, so it sleeps cool. It's not like the memory foam you're probably used to. When you order, you'll get a 100-night risk-free trial. And if you're not fully satisfied, you can return your mattress for a full refund. It's also backed by a 10-year warranty with free shipping and returns. You're going to love Purple. And right now, Curiosity Daily listeners will get a free Purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress. That's on top of all the great free gifts they're offering site-wide. Just text CURIOUS to 84888. The only way to get this free pillow is to text CURIOUS to 84888. That's C-U-R-I-O-U-S to 84888. Message and data rates may apply. People talk a lot about self-care these days. So here's a hot self-care tip. Burn your makeup bag and bury the ashes. According to a recent study, the makeup bottles, compacts, and applicators you keep in that bag often contain potentially harmful bacteria like E. coli and staph. It's certainly cause for concern, but luckily there are ways for us makeup wearers to keep ourselves a little safer. To figure this out, British researchers analyzed about 450 used, donated makeup products spanning five product categories— Eyeliner, mascara, lipstick, lip gloss, and beauty blenders, which are this newfangled type of sponge used to apply makeup. I use one. They found harmful microorganisms in the vast majority of them. Of the actual makeup, lip gloss had the highest bacterial load, while lipstick had the lowest. But the worst offenders were the beauty blenders. A whopping 90% of these makeup sponges were contaminated with potentially pathogenic bacteria. 93% of the blenders had never been cleaned. 
even though the majority of their owners admitted to dropping them on the floor. Gross, right? So how do you keep from smearing staph bacteria on your face? Well, there are two things to watch out for. One is expiration dates. Not all countries are required to put expiration dates on makeup, so here's a good rule of thumb. If it goes on your face, you shouldn't keep it any longer than a year. And you should shorten that timeline for anything that goes on your eyes or contains a lot of liquid. And what about beauty blenders? Well, if you listen to this podcast a lot, you know how gross kitchen sponges can get. You also know how impossible they are to sanitize without making the worst bacteria even stronger. You're supposed to throw kitchen sponges out every week or so, and you may want to do the same with your beauty blenders. Number two, hygiene. Wash your hands first and use a clean applicator instead of applying the product directly to your skin. The study notes that many of these products were used in bathrooms, which contain their share of harmful bugs and are generally not an ideal place for makeup. With these safeguards in place, you can feel better about your next glow up and leave E. coli out of it. Real quick, let's recap what we learned today. So first off, you're happier before achieving a goal than you are afterwards, but you can extend that happiness by finding ways to extend your celebration or by setting new goals. And I'm just blown away about horsepower and how horsepower is not the power of one horse. It's 33,000 foot pounds per minute and it's different in the metric system. Doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Yeah, well, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink it. Are you just like on a horse metaphor website right now? <laughs> Look, get off your high horse. <laughs> and I learned that makeup products used every day by millions of people are contaminated with potentially harmful bugs, but that's just because they're not being cleaned and they're used far beyond their expiration dates. So clean them when you can and also replace your makeup and applicators when it's time. That's right. Today's stories were written by Ashley Hamer, Ruben Westmas, and Mae Rice, and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Script writing was by Cody Goff and Sonia Hodgen. Curiosity Daily is produced and edited by Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.